Eowyn Gatlin works as a licensed therapist at Headway Emotional Health, working with teenagers and families in the area of trauma and mindfulness. She is passionate about engaging with people where they are at and helping clients find their own inner strength. Eowyn is also a community faculty member at Metropolitan State University, where she teaches ethics and diversity in the field of psychology and introduction to research methods. On Wednesday night, November 1st, 2017, Eowyn spent time at Shepherd of the Hills Lutheran Church in Edina to talk about the popular film 13 Reasons Why and her research in depression, anxiety, suicide, and bullying. Here now is Eowyn's presentation. Pastor Scott and I worked on creating a survey on um, kind of getting at how comfortable um, kids here are talking to their parents about certain issues and what they would like their parents to know about um, better ways to improve communication with them and also things that they really appreciate about their parents. And so we're going to go over the results of that and link that into um, you know, some strategies that we can use to, to improve communication and to, to become more approachable. So, and then we'll, we'll wrap up with um, some questions and a, you know, a discussion on, on ways we can implement some of this. Um, I'm also really open to questions during this. I'm going to pause here and there to, to invite questions, but if you're just dying to know something, please feel free to raise your hand and, and let me know. So, sound good? Y'all ready to learn some stuff? Yeah, all right. Next one, Chip. <laughs> so, before we get going, I want to get your brains working. I know we're all kind of full of some really delicious chili and snacks, and it's Wednesday, so... So, um, parents, I would like you to pause and think, or grandparents or other adults, about three ways that this generation is different than your own. And teenagers, I would really like you to pause and think about three things that you have in common with your parents' generation. You know, three types of problems that you're experiencing that they probably experience too. So I'm going to give you all a minute to just let that percolate, and then, we're, then I'm going to ask people to say stuff. <laughs> I can see it's percolating. All right. So has anybody been able to, to think up an answer to those questions? Yes. One of them would be, uh, in my opinion, um, less uh, face-to-face interaction and more social media, so I don't get the... Um, mental, personal, social. Yeah, less less face to face interaction. How do you think that that might be affecting uh, affecting young people today? Any ideas? And you don't have to be the only one to answer that too, if anybody wants to. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Inability. Yeah, yep, different differences around some of the social skills and, and just relating differently. Yeah. Insecurities and, uh, you know, when there's so much on social media, looking for approval and likes. And, yep. Um, which, you know, when you're seeing someone, maybe you can tell if you're not in the mood and they might not tell you, you know, I don't Yeah, there's that distorted kind of reality that we get when all you see is someone's <laughs> news feed that they're, they're trying to make it look like they're very, very happy and... What not, yeah. Um, yeah, what's one? I think probably um, for the teens, yes. probably who to hang out with. Yeah, trying to decide who to hang out with. Picking a peer group, right? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, that was something I remember, you know, sitting in the lunchroom in middle school and just kind of like, who do I, who do I sit by? And you're standing there with your tray trying to figure out what to do. Yeah, that's, that's a problem that we all can relate to, right? And that you guys are still going through. Yeah, thank you for sharing that one. What's another one? Violence. Violence. It's much different now. Yeah, would you want... The terrorism attacks yes. that happen in our country. That yeah. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. There's um, the world is a lot. There's a lot more violence, and then we have this this 24-hour news cycle, and and we hear about it a lot too. How do you think um, that that might be affecting you know young people in the way that they see themselves in the world? More fear. More fear. Absolutely. Yeah. More fear. So. And getting a little desensitized to it too sometimes. You know, you're just kind of like, oh yeah, that happened again. Um, you it's kind know. of become a norm, like, over here, better, like, yeah. You know, there would always be the viewing, do not let your kids watch this, and now it's like, yep. Now they can say this word and they can have this. Absolutely, yeah. Um, yeah, what's allowed on, on TV and what's accessible, um, you know, through. Through um, you know being you know on Netflix, that was one of the things with Thirteen Reasons Why that I know was really scary for for parents was people kids were watching this, they were having really strong reactions, and the parents didn't know the show existed. Um, and I remember when I was a kid, if you were watching something, it was you know we had one TV, and then I think when I was a teenager, I finally got one in my bedroom, and it was like this huge deal, and it didn't have cable. Um, you know, and so my dad would just kind of walk in and give his dad commentary on whatever show I was trying to watch. And that's a lot different than being kind of huddled up in the corner with a phone and headphones, and you don't really know what, what's being watched. And so you're not able to, to comment and able to help process. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, let's hear from some more teenagers. Therapists use silence as a skill to get people to talk. Did you know that? <laughs> Want to see what it looks like? <laughs> Thank you. In my parents' generation, there still was bullying, but now it's like online cyberbullying. And since they're hidden behind a screen, you can't really tell who they are. So you can't really do get them in trouble if they would say something mean. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think you bring up two good points that we did experience in bullying um, when we were younger, but it didn't follow us home. You know, if I, was, if I was in the car with my parents, I couldn't, you know, check my phone and see a really mean meme or posting about me. Um, and so that's something, too, that, yeah, your generation, you kind of, you know, you get it from all these different sides. Um, and it can be it can be really overwhelming. And then I think too, what do you do about it? Because I know when I was working in a high school, um, one of the challenges would be kids would kids from the high school would be picking on other kids from the high school, but it wasn't occurring on school grounds or because it was occurring on the internet. The school was really limited in what they could do, and and it became really hard to uh, to to navigate and to resolve. So absolutely. Any any other challenges that people are um, kind of thinking up? Yes. You just feel like in society, in our society now, there's such immediate gratification. Yeah. Like, you need something, you want something. It's right there. 
Absolutely. Yeah, the immediate gratification is, is a big difference, I think. Um, and, it, and it kind of comes in all these different ways. And it's also, too, like I think adults aren't immune to this new ability to have immediate gratification. I remember, you know, how many of you remember making mixtapes from the radio? <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, you wanted to hear a song, your favorite band released a song, and you were like, okay, I'm going to put on the radio, and I got my little tape recorder, and I'm just... I think I'm late, I think I'm late, I think I'm late. You know, trying to, because you really wanted to pirate it, which wasn't right, but, you know, there were worse, there were worse problems in the world. Um, and now it is, it's like you kind of, you go on YouTube, and if you miss the time that it's on, well, you can get it five minutes later, because once it's out there, it's out there. Um, and adults also have that. You know, we're also, we've gotten used to that, too. Um, and it can create some impatience, and I think it can sometimes create maybe a little bit of a, a lack of appreciation you know, for, for what, it, what there is, because you can kind of get it so easily. Absolutely. Yeah, so now we've got our, our wheels and our cogs turning a little bit here, and we can kind of move on to some of, the, some of the information, which some of us touched on. So, thanks, Chip. You got it? Yeah, all right. I got to get myself up to speed up here, my analog PowerPoint. <laughs> Um, so Generation Z, uh, they were born in the late 90s and into the mid-2000s. The cutoff points for it haven't really been that well established yet, but all the young people in this room, you're Generation Z. I was Generation Y. I don't know why. Um, so <laughs> you guys laughed at that. Thank you. That was a, <laughs> I, was, I was really hoping that was, I could land that one. <laughs> um, so as we talked about, you know, you're growing up immersed in technology. A lot of a lot of young people learned how to use a laptop or a, a tablet before learning how to ride a bike. Um, I, I mean, I know three-year-olds that you know can unlock their parents' phone and pull up games, and and sometimes they do really ridiculous things like delete their contacts. Um, <laughs> see, some of the kids are kind of like looking guilty. <laughs> um, so that you know, again, that that's a big difference because with this exposure to technology, um, you know, comes some pluses and some minuses, and it's also just just a big difference. Um, you know, I, I had a, a good friend who, um, you know, her son had that app Kick on his phone, and she didn't even realize what it was for, and there were some issues with with messages and things going through it. Um, it's kind of like Snapchat, except different. So kids can educate you about it. <laughs> um, they also don't remember a time when the U.S. hasn't been at war, deeply divided politically, or steeped in economic hardship. Um, you know, this is a generation that was either, you know, too young to remember September 11th or born after it. And so that changes the way that they kind of perceive the world and that, you know, that constant exposure to all of these things that are, are not working out so well in the world um, has a has a pretty deep impact on their worldview and how they how they frame things, um, you know. And so they're also um, one thing that I, I kept finding when I was when I was looking up stuff was that um, you know this generation, like young folks, your generation is actually expected to create some pretty significant social changes um, because you're growing up with all of these these problems and you're sort of um, realizing that. 
as much as we're trying, like we haven't been able to fix them yet. <laughs> you know, the older generations haven't. We're doing our best, some of us, um, but it's a lot's going to kind of fall on fall on you guys to create some of that change, and hopefully, we'll be able to like hold space for you and, and help help raise you to do that. So, the next one. Um, oh, you had a question. Oh, I was just going to say that, like, that's one of my major concerns is with the social like expectations. Like in high school, it's always it seems like expected that we're the generation that has to change the global warming. Yeah. To change the like worldwide terrorism and worldwide fear that there is. Mm -hmm. And I think that like us having to react to it is almost more scary than it actually happening. I could see that. That's a really good point. Yeah. And at um, you know, that there's some of that has been experienced by other generations where it's kind of like, well, well, it's up to you to change the world. Um, you know, and I think it's also kind of scary because you don't always have the, the tools yet, you know, and so the, the way that that information can get presented isn't always the most effective. So thank you for, for sharing your perspective on that. Um, one thing, too, is this generation is different than millennials. They're um, less inclined to value social media. So this was from a survey of about 4,000 young people. It was a pretty representative sample. You can, there's, I'll have links to it if anybody's you know, a nerd like me and likes to double check where facts come from. Um, <laughs> if you don't trust me, I'll show you where. Um, so about 49% really um, express that they highly value social media versus 61% of millennials. So a lot of these messages around, um, you know, what you put on the internet is forever and things like that are getting through. Um, they're more conscientious about the long-term impacts of it and... Um, they're also a lot more likely to embrace diversity. This is going to be, you're going to be the last generation in America that's predominantly white. So there's, that shift is happening. Um, and so there, you know, it looks, for everything we can see, people are embracing that. They're really like, okay, like, people are people. Let's, you know, work through some of the other issues that have, have we've been inherited about around race and around diversity, and, and let's keep moving forward with it, which I think is a... A really great thing and also again has its own unique challenges um, so, so one thing got, oh good okay <laughs> um, some other things that I think are really important with this generation and um, and keep in mind too that this may not apply to to your child or your family but you know it probably applies to a lot of their friends is that there's there's less parental involvement for a lot of kids right now um, a lot of parents are under a great deal of stress. You've got a lot of single parent households or two parent households where, where both parents are having to work quite a bit um, and kids end up spending a lot more, a lot more time alone. Um, I know when I was working um, you know, at a high school in the Anoka Hennepin district, I would have a lot of, a lot of my teenagers, you know, they'd get home from sports at you know, 6.30, 7 o'clock at night Parents might come home around 8.30 or 9 from work. You know, they'd see their parents for a handful of hours on weekends, and then they were living in a place where their friends weren't walking distance. And so social media and technology was kind of it for, for social outlets. And a lot of the young people I worked with who were experiencing depression, that was a big part of it, was that, that isolation that came from, from parents who... Um, for a variety of reasons, you know, this isn't about demonizing anybody, we're not able to connect in the way that their kids needed. 
Um, you know, you look at that, you know, the statistic of, um, you know, 26% report getting help with their homework. Um, part of that is that, like, how we do math and stuff like that has changed a lot. And I know a lot of parents are kind of like, well, I don't know how to do lattice. <laughs> um, right? <laughs> right, but it is. So, th so those aspects of... <laughs> So you're all in good company if you don't like to help with the lattice, the lattice math. I know I struggled with trying to figure that one out too. Um, so there, so the, you know, that's an aspect of it. But I think also, um, you know, time is an aspect of it. And then um, only 46% reported that their parents followed through on consequences. Is anyone surprised by that? No? You're like, I know my friends. It's fine. <laughs> Um, yeah, and so those also kind of can have these, this effect of causing young people to feel isolated and, and disconnected um, and to not really feel that supported. Um, you know, can I just say that I think this is really surprising because I see parents so intimately involved in so much of what's going on in their kids' mm -hmm. lives. But so that, that part's a little like. Yeah. Well, it, not every parent's the same. So this is just this is just kind of a, a, a snapshot okay. um, of it statistically, and um, you know, and so you do you get. Um, I think one thing that's that's kind of shifted too is we don't have as much of like the 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 you know like we don't have a very homogenous society right now where everybody you know you look at you know like the stereotypical 1950s where everybody was sort of doing the same thing and and things like that, and now you've got a lot of differences because yes, you absolutely still get helicopter parents and things like that. And also one thing too, helicopter parents aren't always actually helping with the homework. Right. Sometimes it's just hovering and did you get this done? Are you doing this? Are you doing that? But that's not the same as helping. Um, you know, and so those are two different, yes? I seem to say, um, I'm a teacher and I work with little, little ones. Yeah. And it's just reading some articles about how to put it, how things are so different and one of the things they talk about so related to this, how you talk about no, no, they're not. Um, and one thing you'll find too is a lot of kids don't actually want to be rescued. Um, they would, they would rather. Um, I, I've talked with kids that have been pretty resentful about participation trophies. Well, young people, what do you guys think of that? What, what she was just saying. Anyone feel like they want to want to add their voice to that? Not being allowed to fail. No, that's fair. Just thought I'd throw it out there. If you did, change your mind. You just let me know. Um, so yeah, you bring up you know, and again, we're gonna um, in a few slides we're gonna get into um, how common anxiety is right now and how high anxiety is running, and, and a lot of that that is a big part of it. Um, you know, and some of what you're talking about too kind of comes down to this always being connected to your parent. You know, when your parent can text you during school to see how you did on a speech third hour or whether you got an assignment and. You know, when I was in school, it was like you'd wait until you got home and, you know, your parent got home from work. And so 
it wasn't this immediate having to report back, which not all parents do. I think some parents obviously have really good boundaries around that, but um, you know, not all. So um, another thing too that was really interesting was um, who knows what a meritocracy is? It's kind of one of those kind of smushed together, made up words. Meritocracy. Meritocracy. Yes. Something you did, absolutely, yeah. Meritocracy is when you know you put in the hard work and you get the reward, and, and it's based on merit. Um, this generation is actually less likely to see life as a meritocracy, to see it as something where you where you put in the hard work and you automatically get kind of what what you've earned. doesn't mean that nobody sees it that way, but there's a little bit more of a gray area in there. I think there's a little bit of an awareness of some people work really hard and, and you know, it doesn't, doesn't work out as well. Um, and so they're, they're a little bit more in touch with, with that aspect of, of the way things can be, um, which again, you know, can contribute to feeling anxious, to, to feeling depressed and, and discouraged. Um, but they can also be really motivating for wanting to create change. And so it's sometimes too, you know, we talk about these, you know, these, these difficult things and these things that are wrong. And there are also opportunities to, to, you know, to see these things and to come in and, and find ways to improve them. And so I always want to encourage people when we get into, you know, talking about stuff that, that's, that's difficult to look at it as like, well, what, what do we do about it? You know, um, and to, to view seeing it and accepting it as a way of, as like the first step in changing it, you know? So, get the next one, thanks. Catch up over here. Um, so, some of the challenges that um, Generation Z faces, and we touched on these a little bit at the beginning, um, Social media, um, the constant exposure to um, what other people are doing, and it does, it, you know, as you, um, you know, I don't know how many of you have gotten to read that book, What Made Maddie Run, but they kind of talk about that a little bit in there, too. Um, it does, it, it does, it creates this distorted sense of reality, and if you look at some of the studies that are out there, um, you know, people that are spending a lot of time on Facebook tend to not be as actually happy as people that have better, healthier boundaries with it. Um, you know, and that's because, again, somebody can make their Instagram feed look like they're just on top of the world, but their life might not actually be that way. And, and people rarely post, like, had an average day, got a B minus on a test, had mac and cheese for dinner, night, you know, nobody posts that. <laughs> like, <laughs> they don't want to be boring. <laughs> But that's what a lot of our days are like. You know, we don't get an A on every single test. We don't always have the most exciting food for dinner, you know. Um, so there's a lot of pressure to always stay connected to peers, and I think that that is something that I really encourage parents um, to to help their kids with. Um, you know, this this kind of need, needing to like, okay, you've got to be checking your phone. You know, you're you didn't you know you didn't snap back when I sent you you know a message on Snapchat in five minutes. Don't you want to be my friend anymore? Some of the catastrophizing that can go around with the back and forth communication on social media can get really really overwhelming for kids. I saw some of you you guys nodding when I said that comment about Snapchat. Yeah. Um, and, you know, parents can do a lot with this. Um, 
One, I think helping kids disconnect, you know, creating space where they have to. And you guys might not like me for saying this, and I apologize, but I mean it. Um, setting aside those times where it's like we're not going to have the phone on, you know, we're gonna we're gonna turn it off, or um, even taking it away at a certain time at night can be really valuable in just creating some space. I've worked with kids who are actually really really relieved when their parents started taking their phone at 9 p.m. They were like, okay, I don't have to get chewed out tomorrow for not texting somebody back at midnight. Um, because it really disrupts the, you know, the sleep cycle. And, um, you know, this, this kind of all access to technology. Um, and some parents are, I think, um, more proactive about limiting technology. And then I think others are maybe not quite as aware of, of how damaging it can be. Um, you know, I think, you know, 50 years from now, we might look back on, you know, three-year-olds and four-year-olds having unfettered access to tablets and things like that, the way we look at, um, you know, kids not wearing seatbelts and parents smoking in the cars in the 19, you know, 40s and 50s. We're going to be like, wait, they did that? Um, you know, and that'll be one of our things. We're like, yeah, we survived using our tablets all day. <laughs> it wasn't so bad. <laughs> That's going to be your back in my day story. <laughs> so, um, also, I think filtering information is a huge challenge. Um, how many of you have scrolled through, you know, your Facebook newsfeed and just like kind of shook your head and just turned off your computer and wanted to walk away. You're just kind of like, ah, there's so much on here. Yeah, I know I, you know, I'm, I'm a full-blown growing up and I get overwhelmed by all of the information that's out there. You know, you, you get a piece of news and then you try to find out more information and you get, you know, 10 stories that all have a different spin on it. Um, and it can be really overwhelming. And I think for, you know, for young people, especially because, you know, you don't all have the skills yet to go through and determine what's accurate information, where are the biases coming from, is this news story or this information fear-mongering, is it, you know, what's the bias in it, and so you just sometimes absorb all of this stuff without having a really strong context for it, and that can create a lot of feelings of discomfort, you know, we have this, um, 24-hour news cycle and, you know, now this, this phenomenon of, of fake news that, you know, most of the time when you see something pop up, it's like, wait, is that real? What, what's going on? Um, and that can create a lot of feelings of distrust and I think adds to this sense that the world's not really a safe place. Um, you know, and it's, um, and then because too, I think with people getting really, really busy, um, and not always taking the time to create space to talk about, like, what did you hear about in the news today? Are you following, you know, this public event? Um, what are your friends at school talking about? And the thing, too, is um, I think we don't realize, you know, when I was in school, current events, like in middle school, I don't remember having too many conversations with my peers about current events. You know, we'd like, weren't, I mean, there weren't as many many relevant ones I can remember, but I think of, you know, when Bill Clinton was up to shenanigans and stuff like that, me and my friends weren't really sitting around talking about it. Um, and now, because of how much is going on, and then how connected this generation is, you know, I see 7th and 8th graders in my office that are like, 
I really, you know, I'm really struggling with what happened in Charlottesville. And they, like, want to process it from whichever angle. I've actually had kids who fall on the more conservative end who are wanting to process from that angle and some that fall, on, you know, on, on the other end that are wanting to process it. Um, and, you know, and they're also coming from different information, different news sources, and they, um, you know, their parents might not be talking to them about it. And so they're trying to form this, this view of the world and be... You know, and by having a view of the world, that's how we figure out what our role in the world is, right? You know, we get this global perspective, and then we're like, okay, I'm here. You know, here's my identity. Um, and so I think that's something else that, um, you know, might be a question to, to add to, you know, you're wanting to check in with your kids about how things are, is, you know, see what type of media they're following, see what news stories, um, see what they have strong feelings about and do a lot of uh, questions around, well, where are you getting your information? You know, can you tell me where, how this might be biased? And, and owning up to your own biases and your own um, kind of feelings about that, too, I think can be very helpful in, in navigating that. Let's see. Another thing, too, um, exposure to violent or sexually explicit content. Um, unfortunately... A lot of young people, through just a total accident, have accidentally stumbled upon um, explicit material on the internet, and it's pretty uncomfortable for them, you know. And so I think, as for a parent too, making sure that you're you're creating a space where it's like, okay, if you did stumble upon something, or even if you know you're a little curious and kind of looked at something, let's talk about it. You know, let's try to, you know, I want you to come to me if you, if you kind of see something like this and I want to help you process it because it's, it's pretty uncomfortable for them to, to hold that alone. But then they also might be worried like, uh-oh, I was searching for something and I stumbled upon a site that had some stuff that I know my parents wouldn't want me looking at. I'm going to get in trouble. I better not say anything. And what that does then is there's no space other than maybe with their friends, which do you want your child processing that with their friends? Yeah, probably not. <laughs> and honestly, they probably would rather process it with an adult too. Um, and so I think that's another, another thing to add um, and to open up a dialogue around is, you know, okay, if you, if you stumbled upon this on the internet, um, please, you know, come to me. Or if you don't want to come to me, you know, go to, you know, whatever trusted adult <laughs> and, and talk about it so that they're not kind of holding on to that confusion alone so um any questions so far i know i've been zipping through information no is it making sense well all right as long as i'm making sense we're in good shape get the next one so um other ways that they are different um according to the center for disease control they are less you guys are less likely to use alcohol tobacco or other drugs than, you know, millennials or Gen Xers or certainly those baby boomers. Just kidding. <laughs> um, yeah, and it doesn't mean that there aren't young people that are still experimenting and using. It's, um, it's dropped. It hasn't, like, dropped off, you know, so just know that. We're not saying that it doesn't happen, but, you know, we are seeing this trend, especially around tobacco. This generation is using a lot less tobacco now. I know e-cigs have become sort of the scourge of most high schools, but... We're not perfect yet. Um, 
They are also um, less likely to engage in sex in high school than their parents' generations. So they're they're waiting longer. They're thinking about it more more seriously, which I think is a really great thing, um, and I think is also kind of a testament to how um, you know parents are taking more of a um, you know active role in talking to kids about that and, and expressing their values. And again, this doesn't mean that there's not a ton of kids that are you know high school age that are doing that because there are, um, but it's a, it's less than it used to be, um, and it is. Um, you know, it's, and it's kind of dropping off more, which I think is really healthy. You know, as a therapist, I think that, you know, if kids can wait, much better. Um, so they're also committing fewer crimes, lower arrest rates than, than our generation. So I was like right on that cusp between Gen X and the millennials. And I was kind of surprised when I was looking at the statistics. There's a... Um, there was a website I went to where you could type in the year you were born and then you could see how you compare to this generation. And I was like, oh man, we were terrible compared to you guys. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, you know, so some of those, those values have really have changed. You know, people are, are not as tolerant of, of violence and there's more, um, you know, you, we talk a lot about, about bullying. Um, and, you know, I'm sure you kids have bullying campaigns or anti-bullying campaigns at your high school or in your middle schools and things like that. Um, when I was in school, bullies were just these like people that were there and you were told to ignore them. Like I remember being picked on on the playground and you know, when I was seven or eight and I went to the playground and I was like, that boy is blah, blah, blah. And she's like, well, just ignore him. And I stood there and like got knocked over and I was like, that didn't work. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> you know, and now I think a lot of you hopefully don't don't get that type of response, you know, and I think that that's contributing to people just not wanting to tolerate that type of stuff. So, you know, and that means our generation did a good job being like I'm not raising my kids like that. So, <laughs> um, you know, so that's one of the one of the positive things. Um, this generation is more likely to be chronically sleep deprived. Um, who knows what some of the consequences are of chronic sleep deprivation? Can anybody name one? Yeah. Depression and like anxiety. Yes, absolutely. Depression and anxiety are huge consequences of sleep deprivation. Who knows how much sleep the average 14-year-old is supposed to get? Yeah, nine to ten hours, absolutely. Yeah, who knows how much uh, you know sleep the average high school student's getting? Um, it's a little bit more, thankfully. There's definitely some that averaged five hours. Um, yeah, it's about you know six to seven hours. So you know you think of a two-hour-a-night sleep deficit. That's pretty significant. Um, what do you think are the things that contribute to them not getting enough sleep? Phones. Phones. Yeah. Phones are definitely one. What else? Computers. Computers, yeah. Phones, computers. What else might contribute to, to not getting enough sleep? Yeah. All this structured activity. All this, you yes. You play football. You don't just play till dinner time now. You're on the football team. You have to go to a clinic. You have to drive here. You have to drive there. Yeah. Nobody goes home at sunset for dinner. Right. Up at 6 a.m. for something Absolutely, yeah. All of the structured time is a huge, huge factor. Did you have one? Homework. Homework, yes, absolutely. 
Yeah, so there's a lot of things that this generation has on their plate that are different than ours. I think that point about extracurriculars have gotten pretty intense. Um, you know, it is, it's a, you know, I, I know kids that played soccer and it was, you know, they were, they were in soccer club and then they would play for the school team. And I mean, it was, you know, they had this year round soccer and it wasn't uncommon for them to be doing practice and things till 10 o'clock at night. Um, and what that would do um, is it makes it really hard to wind down, right? So you had one you want to add? So um, I think like kind of like maybe special events or concerts or like plays or movies or things like that. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, that, thank you for saying that too. And, and that falls into this, this, un, this overly structured time that we're talking about. Because after you get done with like a concert and stuff, are you able to just go home and conk out and go right to bed? No, right? And when you get done with, um, you know, soccer practice or, or, you know, whatever sport or club you're in, are you able to just go home at 9 o'clock and eat a snack and be asleep by 10? Yeah, no, human beings <laughs> need time to unwind, right? Um, and that's one of, the, one of the issues with all the structures that we don't get enough time to unwind. And then what happens, too, is we can get into these really, these things that we think help us unwind, but they don't actually, so... How many of you have been wanting to relax and like play a game on your phone? Right. So, and you know the blue light on your screen actually mimics sunlight and stops production of melatonin and stops you from going to sleep. Did you know that? You might not know that. You do now. Yeah. You had one? Oh, yeah, you've experienced that. Yeah. I know of it. You know of it? Yeah. Okay. Really? I should figure out how to use that on my phone because I'm not any better than anybody else about not doing that. <laughs> okay, so, so yeah, see, kids are up on technology more. <laughs> oh, yes, thank you. Oh, thank you. See? Things are really conscientious. Yeah, so I guess there's those workarounds. Um, but also, too, those aren't always the best ways to unwind. Um, you know, when you're doing a, a, a game like, um, you know, that you're kind of like, you know, especially like the, you know, like the games where you're like sort of hunting for something that's different or that there's a lot of tapping, what that's doing is just activating, um, a, you know, a part of your brain that is, keeps you very alert. Um, and so, you know, working on, you know, getting, having good sleep hygiene is, is really, really important. Um, and getting enough physical activity, which obviously if you're late because you're doing sports all day, you've gotten enough. But if you've spent the whole day at school and then maybe you're involved in, you know, the debate team or, or theater or something and you haven't had any time to actually get your heart rate up, you're not going to sleep as well. Um, and so that's something parents can also do is, you know, encourage that and maybe even demand it, maybe even go with them and you know, go for a little jog or something. And that can also help with, um, with unwinding. So, and it's hard, too, because a lot of these things um, we can't really escape. You know, we can't escape technology. If you want to do sports, you know, you have to sometimes go to these late games and these late events. And so um, it's important to really maximize downtime. And when you have these, these pockets, um, you know, like weekends and things like that, to allow for some unstructured time. Um, to allow for some, you know, time where it's like, okay, you know, we're not working on homework, we're not 
on our phone. We're not practicing for anything. Just like go and exist as a, as a person and discover what your interests are and your passions are and who you are. So, all right, I think I got everything on that one. So, um, so mental health. Uh, approximately 20% of boys and 30% of girls are going to have severe anxiety symptoms in a given year. So who can tell me what an anxiety symptom is? Anyone? Well, depression is kind of depression and anxiety are kind of related, but um, they're two separate. They're two separate disorders. So anxiety is when oh, you got social anxiety. Social anxiety, absolutely. That's a type of anxiety. Yeah. I remember having a lot of anxiety in previous years, and I wasn't really able to sleep at night, and I was coming from home, like from school, crying. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Really absolutely. Yeah. Um, Anxiety, yeah, anxiety is when our nervous system is really overactivated. And so it's when our fight or flight gets kicked on and it releases adrenaline and then cortisol. And so when you're anxious, you know, your heart rate goes up. You might start sweating, your stomach might hurt, your head might hurt. Um, and it can be pretty debilitating, you know, and, and in its extreme forms, it can lead to panic attacks. Who knows what a panic attack is? Yeah. Chest gets yep, absolutely. Yeah, your the muscles in between your ribs and your chest lock up, and so your lungs don't want to expand, and then your heart starts pounding, and it, it it's this kind of feeling of like you know like something terrible is going to happen, and you can't. You can't get away, and, and you can't get safe. Um, and then it's also can usually be really embarrassing because these, you know, these happen at really inopportune times, like when you're trying to give a speech or you know you're you're you know in class. Um, and so when we think that you know between twenty and thirty percent of our of our young people are experiencing these types of symptoms every year, and this is a lot higher. Um, unfortunately, I don't. I remember off the top of my head what it was like 15 years ago, but this is a pretty big, pretty big bump. Um, you know, it can be, it's pretty concerning. And um, unfortunately, a lot of people feel a lot of shame when this happens. You know, so it's like, well, I should be able to control this. And then, you know, you're sitting there having this anxiety attack and you're like, no, everything's fine. This is all in my head. This is all in my head. It's all fine. Which just leads to more shame because then you're, it like doesn't actually go away when you do that because you can't talk your nervous system down. <laughs> um, you know, and so there's, but the nice thing too about anxiety is it's really, really responsive to treatment. And so if somebody is having a lot of anxiety, like coming home from school and feeling sad or panicky or things like that, um, therapy is great. There's a lot of breathing techniques. Um, there's something called mindfulness. Who's heard of mindfulness? Some of you? Good. Yeah, mindfulness is, um, you know, it's, it uh, covers a broad range of, of skills and things, but it's basically learning to, like, pause and be in the moment and be in touch with yourself and aware of what you're doing and um, kind of not getting stuck on, you know, negative or uncomfortable thoughts. 
Um, you know, and therapists are great at teaching that. I, I teach kids mindfulness most days, comes up in, in session. <laughs> um, you know, and we, we look at to it, why, why is this generation so anxious? And a lot of the things that we've already talked about play into it. The, um, you know, having a ton of structure, having all this access to technology, having more information floating around inside of you than you can process. Um, things like that all really contribute to, to feeling anxious. Um, and so I want to encourage, you know, the young folks here and, and the grown-ups, if you're dealing with anxiety or if you know somebody that is, um, you know, it's not something that people can just turn off. It'd be nice if they could. I'd be out of a job, but that'd be fine. <laughs> um, you know, and, and so encourage them to get help. You know, and then we're going to talk about depression, too. Um, and depression is like the flip side of anxiety in a lot of ways. It's really common to see depression and anxiety occur in the same person. And so who can explain to me? Would anyone want to take a shot at explaining what depression is? No? I can do it if you want me to. Oh, there is one. Oh, I'm sorry. You missed. Oh. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, thank you for thank you guys for sharing your personal experiences too. Um, absolutely, yeah. Depression, a really big component of it is this feeling like you're not good enough, feeling like you're a burden, feeling um, you know, and that's and that's the part of depression that when it really really spins out of out of control, it can lead to those 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 thoughts of like maybe the world would be better off if I wasn't here, or life hurts so much I don't want to keep going. Um, and then there's some other symptoms that go along with depression too. Um, depression can affect how tired you are. So sometimes when people are depressed, they'll have really, really bad insomnia and they won't be able to sleep. And then sometimes they'll just want to stay in bed for days. And, and it's not that they're being lazy. It's that their brain's not healing itself as it's sleeping the way it needs to. And then sleep can become also a way of avoiding and, um, you know, it can be really, really hard to break out of that. It can also really slow down your thoughts. How many of you have been having a really bad day or maybe after something really sad has happened and you try to focus on work or you try to focus on, you know, doing something and you can't? Has anyone had that experience? Yeah, I bet a lot of us have had that experience of, like, really emotionally kind of caught up with something else and you can't focus. And for people that are, are in a depressive episode that are, or that are living with depression, that's like, that's like every day. Like that's how they wake up. Um, and again, it can be really shaming because we have this, you know, these things of like, well, you know, when I'm feeling blue, I go jogging and everything's better. Well, good for you. <laughs> you know, that's, that's what they're thinking when, when we say stuff like that to people that are dealing with depression. Um, you know, because it's, it's a little bit harder to get, to get out of than, um, you know, than just 
doing one or two little lifestyle things. And I am all for exercise. You know, like I encourage my clients who are dealing with anything to get exercise and things like that. But to kind of, you know, to kind of say something like that to somebody that's dealing with clinical depression is um, can feel really dismissive and invalidating. Um, you know, and so when you look at this, that, you know, about 11% of young people are going to experience a depressive episode in a given year. That's a lot. You know, that's something that, that we need to, I think, really have on our radar. And when you start to see depression in yourself or in a person you care about, um, it's okay to, to ask them about it. A lot of the times when I've worked with um, people that are, that are depressed, they're really relieved when somebody notices. You know, when some, and, and when somebody names it. Because depression can come on really slowly. So it can start with a bad day, and it just seems like the bad day never ends. Like you wake up and you're having the same bad day you had yesterday. And, and then all of a sudden, you know, two months later, you've disconnected from your friends and you haven't even realized it. Your grades are, you know, nothing, you know are pretty bad. You're lonely, and, and you're kind of like looking around like, what happened? What's wrong? Um, and you don't always realize it, you know, and then that, again, the, the shame around mental health stuff kicks in and it's like, well, what's wrong with me? Why can't I get better? And, and that's where really like a good ally, whether it is a, a friend or a teacher or a pastor or um, a parent or anything like that or a grandparent can kind of come in and be like, hey, I am noticing that you are struggling right now and I, I love you and I want to help you. What can we do? Um, you know, and encouraging, again, therapy can be really, really great. Um, you know, also to just, you know, spending more time together. We look at, um, we talked a lot about how isolated people get. I've told those stories of, uh, you know, kids I worked with that would come home to empty houses and um, wake up after, you know, wake up before their parents left for work. And sometimes what they needed you know, they needed a few sessions with me, and what we would do is just be like, "All right, let's let's work on your support network. Like, let's you you need a hug every day, usually two hugs at least." <laughs> and that was really really more what we had to do to address it. Um, and I think it's um, you know sometimes parents and adults um, we have this knee jerk reaction to dismiss what kids are going through is, you know, well, that's normal teenage stuff, or everybody gets nervous, or everybody has bad days, and and yes, that's true, and we don't want to catastrophize a bad day, you know, we don't want to turn a bad day into this, you know, full-blown catastrophe, right, but we also don't want to dismiss it either, um, and that's, you know, the struggle with that is that we have to really work on keeping communication open. Um, you know, because mental health issues really fester when they're in the dark. You know, when you are dealing with anxiety and you're, you know, feeling ashamed of telling your parents if you've experienced some type of abuse or some type of traumatic event and you don't feel like you can talk about it or you feel like you're supposed to be over it already, that's when it festers. That's when it gets just worse and more painful and that's what leads to people making decisions like trying to cover it up using using drugs or alcohol or cutting or you know doing a, a myriad of unhealthy things that are they're trying to cope you know 
And um, so it's all of our responsibility when we see that to step in and to, to call it out and to offer help and to keep offering help and to keep saying something. You know, don't let, um, you know, a smile and I'm fine, you know, mean that you give up if you're noticing something is wrong. So, okay, yes. do a quick uh, time check. We've got about seven minutes left. Oh, my gosh. And so I want to make sure we have a little time for questions. Yes. I think you were going to address the survey. I was. Yeah, that was actually, like, what, right where we were headed. So I apologize. I got a little, little off track with the questions already. <laughs> um, could you flip to... Two questions, two slides forward. So let's get that one. That not, not, yeah, that one. Okay. My apologies on that. I got excited about all the feedback people were giving. <laughs> um, so I wanted to talk about this survey. Um, we did a survey where we looked at how comfortable um, the kids of this congregation are talking to their parents about these specific issues and what kind of the averages were. And there was some pretty pretty interesting thing. Um, I want to point out kind of the ranges, um, you know, is that there were a pretty pretty broad range, as you can see. Um, you know, some ranges were between, you know, 1 and 10, and the survey only went to 10. So it was on a scale of 1 to 10, how comfortable are you talking to your parents about the following? Um, so wait, so 10 is I'm comfortable, oh, 1 is I'm not? 10 is I'm really, really comfortable, and 1 is I'm not at all comfortable. Yep, <laughs> you're welcome. Um, and so one thing I want to point out is that it wasn't like one kid had, you know, you know, 10 for everything and one kid had one for everything, and that's why it looks that way. There were a lot of people that had, you know, seven, eights, nines for some stuff, and then they'd have a couple things that were like ones, twos, or threes. And so just kind of know that going in, that um, a lot of people had things that they were really likely to talk to their parent about and things that they were just kind of like, nah, not so much. Um, some things that I really noticed when I was working on this, um, you know, not too surprising kids were more comfortable talking to their parents about dating and relationships than they were about sex. Um, and so one thing with parents, if you are looking at a way to bring up these conversations, because sex is an uncomfortable thing to talk about sometimes. It can be. It doesn't have to be. Um, but if you're talking about dating and relationships, that might be a good time to, to bring that piece in, whether it's just a conversation of, like, you know, wait until you're ready and our family values on this are, you know, so. Um, it was also, if you look at, um, you know, if a peer is, you know, using drugs or a peer's mental health, kids were more comfortable talking to their parents about where their peers were at and what's going on with their peers than they were themselves. And when I looked at the individual surveys, almost everybody was more comfortable. Um, this was really consistent. And I want to point out that the things that you say when they come to you with an issue about a peer, to a lot of people reflect what you're going to do when they come to you with that issue about themselves. And so if they come to you and they're like, you know, my peer tried smoking and I'm not sure how I should respond to them. And, you, you know, if you come across as, as too punitive you know, or to, you know, well, you should just disconnect from them entirely and never talk to that peer again. That's going to send them the message that that's how you'll respond if they do it. Um, same with the mental health stuff. You know, if, if they come to you with a friend who's, who's dealing with depression or something like that and, and, you know, there's a response that maybe to them feels blaming, they're going to struggle more to talk about it if they're the one experiencing it. Um, 
And also, I think, you know, and this is something that I think all of our generations did that, you know, mom, dad, I got a friend. You know, it's actually about you. (laughs) Um, So they still, I think, are probably doing that to an extent. And so that can also just be a really good time to weave into the conversation um, some information about. And, you know, and if you're ever going through this, here's what we would want to do to help you. And I'd really want you to tell me um, so that so that kids have that. Um, I also wanted to point out that kids are about as comfortable talking to their parents if their parents say or do something that hurts their feelings as they are about if they were experimenting with drugs. What do you guys think of that? They're more comfortable. Yeah, I thought that that was really interesting that, um, well, not, ex- you know, but if they had questions about that. Because those are both, two of the lower ones on there were those, um, were the sixes on both of those. And I think... Um, you know, kids really, really care about what their parents think. They might not always act like it, but I know in my office, um, you know, you know, I hear from the parent, well, yeah, I talked to them about this, and they just, you know, did this teenager thing, and, you know, and then I'll get the kid in my office later, and they're just like, yeah, my mom was so disappointed, and I felt so bad, and I didn't know what to say, and I didn't want to say anything that was going to make her more mad, and they have, like, these very different perceptions of, of the problem, um, and so I think, too, um, you know, creating space if, you know, sometimes young people, too, they'll misinterpret what we say. And so you might be meaning something in a way that's supportive or in a way that's, you know, and they might take it as a criticism. And so inviting that, you know, creating space in those communications to, um, to address and take ownership of, you know what, I, I was kind of cranky and I, I apologize and I snapped at you the other night and it's okay to tell me if that hurt your feelings. Um, you know, and that really models for them how to do that in their own relationships. So, um, and then we had a seven for if they need a hug. And there's a couple, a couple of young people that weren't as comfortable asking for that. And so parents offer hugs. They actually, you know, when you hug somebody, it releases oxytocin. You got to do it, I think, for like 10 or 15 seconds. So give them like a really good hug. Um, and it'll help with their brain chemistry and yours. It's like everybody wins with a good hug. <laughs> I know. It's great. So we can go to the next slide. So, um, how big was the sampling of your survey? Um, that was there was only sixteen. So of uh, I think. Those are confirmation kids. Yeah, those are the confirmation kids here. So, and these are some some direct quotes. So, uh, one thing your parent could do to help you feel more comfortable confiding in them. Um, so, I thought that some of these were were really really insightful. Um. So you are all capable. Can everybody see it from where they're at? Yeah, okay, I'm not going to. So this is specifically our confirmation kids, too? Yeah, these are the things that they said that they would like you you all to know. Um, they had some really great things on there. You know, they want to, um, you know, talk nicely, encourage me. Um, and I think what this really shows is that they want to talk. You know, like you've got a, a really great group of kids here. I can tell just by how interactive they were. Um, their willingness to fill out this part of the survey, because they could have just been like, oh, there's a survey, and handed it back, because it was anonymous. Um, what, are people, what are people's reactions to this, to some of these things? Anyone surprised? Or Yeah? Well, I just think there are some good reminders for parents on, just in reading that, just remind, good reminders for parents. Yeah. Like, but don't react, overreact to the little things, I guess, and more along. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there was some some really really sweet things on here. Um, 
you know. And I think too, it's okay to ask your to ask your kid, um, you know, just like, hey, I feel like we have, we've been missing the mark on communication. Can you can you tell me what I can do to help? And also telling them, you know, because sometimes kids will like not take the opportunities that they're given to communicate, and it's okay to you know call them out on that too in a compassionate way. So we'll go to the next one. Um, so a couple of things that can improve communication, and I know we, we touched on most of these. Um, allowing your teen to lead the discussion and sort of um, making sure that you're not just waiting to start sharing your opinion. You know, it's, it's listening without waiting, listening versus waiting to talk, you know, because those can be, can be two different things. Um, and then within reason, especially for, for older teens, you know, create a space where you can have like a, a consequence-free conversation. I have a, a really good friend's got a, um, a 16-year-old, and she does this with, with her son sometimes. And it's, um, you know, if he shares a story of like, yeah, I was at a party and some kids there were doing this. She, you know, it's sort of the safe zone for as long as it's not something that, she, you know, he's in danger or something. Um, she'll just process it with them and there won't be huge consequences because it's one of those things he could have just kept hidden forever. Um, you know, and so you have to set up some parameters around that and make it age appropriate. And obviously there's going to be things where if they tell you there needs to be consequences or further action. Um, but those can be some nice ways to, to get um, better communication um, admitting when you don't understand something. Um, just show of hands, young people. How many of you appreciate when your parent says, I don't know or I don't understand that? How many of you are kind of like, thanks, I appreciate that you admitted that, right? Yeah, it, um, it's, it's more validating when somebody's talking to you about their experiences. If you're just like, you know, I don't understand that, that for what that was like, but I can tell how you're experiencing that and, and I validate that versus trying to always bring it back to your own experiences. Um, and especially because you guys, you know, this generation is facing some things that, that we didn't. Um, acknowledging that and kind of owning that and allowing them to, to guide us through resolving that is actually a very powerful way. And once you do that, then you are able to bring in, you know, your infinite, infinite or semi-infinite parental wisdom and help them process it. <laughs> You know, but there has to be that first, that acknowledgement of, well, okay, I only get this from my perspective and not yours. Um, and then give them permission to be imperfect. I think all of the structure and, you know, you guys, this generation, you guys are, have so many tests and you're measured in so many ways. I mean, you got the MCAs and all these different things. And it's really important to just have a space where you don't have to be perfect. You know, you can, you can make mistakes. We're not going to always be talking about how to improve scores and things like that. And then I think um, the best way we can teach kids this is to model it. And so, you know, when you mess up at work and you come home and you're beating yourself up over it, um, they take a page out of that book and start doing the same thing. You know, if you're complaining about your body image and about the way you look, you know, your, your kids are going to hear that and they're going to pick up that that's how, how they should be and those are the standards they should hold themselves to. Um, and so, you know, parents, you have permission not to be perfect, too. Yay! You're welcome. So, we just got one final slide, and we can have this up and also do some questions. So one thing I appreciate about my parents is, and this is something, again, that was all from, all from the congregation kids here, 
so some of the kids in this room, um, that they really appreciate. And so I wanted to, to leave off on that note because I think, you know, all of you parents showed up tonight, you know, and grandparents and community members because you care, right? You want this to, to go well. Um, and, and kids notice and they appreciate it. So... Thank you. So um, just a, yeah, a couple things. Um, we'll have her here for questions. And I want to make sure in it, before people leave to introduce Liz Tim. Liz, will you stand, please? Um, Liz is here from Mental Health Connect, which you may have, have hopefully have heard about through me or through us um, talking about. Mental Health Connect is a consortium of eight or more now churches, including us, who are um, working on uh, mental health in the community. And so Liz is a navigator, she's a peer specialist, um, and she helps for no charge um, people navigate the mental health system. So that might mean figuring out a, a provider to see, a counselor, figuring out issues with the insurance covering that or how that might happen. Maybe um, your mental health issues make it so you can't pay the rent and you need some help with figuring that out. All those, all those myriad of resources, um, Liz works with, in conjunction with Vail Place here in Hopkins. And it doesn't matter where you live in the metro. Anyway, she can connect you to those resources and she'll walk with you. And um, so I just, she's going to be in our congregation in the presence of our time together. You'll see her tonight, and she'll be here at worship. About once a month, you'll see her either on a Wednesday night or on a Sunday morning. And her um, information you can get from me, or um, there. I always have a Mental Health Connect uh, piece over there under the bulletin boards, and her information's there, so you don't have to talk to me if you don't want to, so you have that confidentiality. And reach out to her, and um, she won't tell that to me, of course, you know, so that you do have that privacy. But I want you to know she's here and that we have that connection. And navigating the system is sometimes the hardest part. So please make use of that service and please get to know Liz. She's great. Okay. Now, so thanks, AON. And so questions for AON. Why don't we do, why don't we do this? AON, yep. if you can stay for a little bit. Totally. I know there are people that need to go. So yep. if you need yep. to go, let's give AON a round of applause and thanks. <laughs> Thank you for the opportunity to come here tonight, too. This has been great for me, too. So thank you. <laughs> if you have questions, you can come and talk to Awen. I think yeah. you can stick around for a while. Uh -huh. Remember, there's resources back here on the table if you want those. Um, yeah. Yeah.
See, that, well, that's, that's, what, what, I, well, that's what I was getting at, was what is different. Yeah. yeah, we had like three decades of constant warfare with well, look, yeah, instant annihilation. Yeah, during yeah. the Cold War. Was it different than seeing it, I think, like, you know, on the news and seeing, like, actual oh attacks gosh, and, and things like that? Seeing stuff from, like, the 50s and 60s. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're on the TV ads. And duck and cover drills were weak. Right, yeah, which they have armed and trigger drills now. Yeah, which, is, you know, it's kind of sad, much the same now. Here's this terrible thing you can't get away from. So you're not feeling like there's a significant difference between this generation and other generations. Am I hearing that right? I wonder. Like a lot of us, I kind of blame on the kids graduating from college in the 80s. This hyper analysis. Like prior to the 90s, there was no generation of kids. They weren't as, yeah, they weren't as silent. Yeah. Yeah, it was pretty awful. Yeah. 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 Y
So go and kind of like interview it. Uh, and you just sit in a meeting and kind of see, like, okay. So I hear. I'm Gotta find the ones that work. But yeah. Well, thank you for I I was I was really glad too. I think it's a it's an important important thing to do. Yeah, and that, that was my wife Veronica zooming out with okay. one of her two. Okay. Being the day after Halloween. You know, right. They're already a little Oh, I got them up half an hour before the bus today. Yep, just, that's okay. And they were still sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> kinda, yep. Yeah. Like, why are you getting up so early? I was like, it's eight o'clock. <laughs> we're ready yeah. for that time change. <laughs> yeah, Sunday, right? Time change. Oh, yeah. That's right. We fall back. We get that extra hour. Very nice. Yeah. Mixed winter. It's like the mixed winter a little bit. It's like, well, at least get one day of an extra hour of sleep. Yeah, I like winter. It's from Is it? Yeah. I, have, 
I've adapted to it, but I'm not a naturally... I mean, I've lived here my whole life, but winter's not my favorite. Oh. I like the summers and spring. Well, I like them, too. Yes. I don't, I don't dislike winter, but I'm not a winter sports kind of person. I don't like getting hurt or cold, so... Yeah. Skiing is yeah. kind of, you I do like the, I love the way that you have that, that like, just the hibernation aspect of winter, though, kind of, like, turning inward and focusing on your indoor stuff and, you know, how quiet it is outside. That's it's why beautiful, I was yeah. thinking about Toastmasters, because I, I was just, yeah. I had some time today, and I was like, hmm, should I do some studying this winter? Yeah, you get a good personal development. But yeah, I, I liked your presentation, and I, I didn't mean it as a oh, personal. Oh no, I, I, I didn't take it that academic. way. Yeah, no, absolutely. So yeah, I always appreciate the feedback. So thank you. Sure. And yeah, I, I just don't get with. Well, I guess it's like smoking, which mm-hmm. I never picked up. I don't have a Facebook account either. Yeah. I, I remember being at a professional conference mm-hmm. 10 years ago, and one of the speakers, oh, she did on Facebook. Yeah. Wow, yeah. it's, it's uh, for college kids to connect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, past college. Yeah, it depends, I think, on what you're, what you're doing with it. It's, I take breaks from mine. Like, I will, like, just be like, I'm not on Facebook for this week. Especially, you know, I think it's good to have limits with. But, yeah, I know it's kind of freeing to not have it. I was just starting to feel bad, like maybe I should do it this year. And then I started hearing all these articles about how it makes you depressed. Yeah, well, I think, it, I think if you don't have okay. a good boundary with it, it really can. It sounds like it's very hard. It's yeah, sort of like that boundary when you're doing like, tequila shots between sociable and yeah. plastered. Right. I know, like, I, for me, I will not have any social media apps on Okay. I do not need to be sitting in the doctor's office looking at social media in the way to be connected like that because it's just Getting shallow work done. shallow processing. Yeah. So it's more like yeah, half an hour at night, like people's baby pictures, talk to people's friends out of state for a minute, keep up on their lives. Like, <laughs> you inspired me. I think I'm going to get my 14-year-old an alarm clock this week. Because she uses her phone as an alarm yep, clock, which I do too, so I can't yeah. really fault her for it. But I know she's on Facebook and stuff, so thank you. Yeah. She's going to not thank you. No, I knew they weren't going to like me saying that. But yeah. But I've worked, I mean, I spent years working with with teenagers, and it's like, they don't have, their brain's not fully developed, so setting a boundary like that was something that's... Yeah. Um, so such instant gratification they're doing yeah. that and also so much social pressure it's like I can't expect them to I mean some of them can and they're very different I mean some 14 year olds are very mature and you know and very grounded and some are you're kind of shouldn't maybe even have phones <laughs> you know they're they're very at that age but I think they all need a little help learning that so you can blame me she'll blame me fair enough I almost giggled when yeah. you had that slide up um, around one one call. Teens are having sex less, and then the other call is a less face to face contact. I didn't even catch that. That was, that was a little funny. <laughs>
Is, is there any research in that? With, yeah. with immediate gratification. You know, everything I could ever want is in my phone. Why should I sneak out and raise my hand? Well, I'm part of it, and I didn't go into it too much more for age, but um, there are a lot of issues. Yeah, it's a wonderful place. Oh, I love it here. It's too fantastic. Have a good night. You know, it's like, it's not sneaking. Oh, we're going to be in the 50s by then. It's going to be kids who are going to be putting their shorts and their flip-flops back. But yeah, it's one, and it creates these really distorted views. So, so yeah, I don't know. Then I, I, I don't know why, you know, it's dropping off again. That would be like a presentation of its own. Probably wouldn't be appropriate for this no, crowd. No, well, that's why I didn't raise my hand. I was like, uh, no. yeah, no, there was the little ones. I was trying really hard not to use the word pornography. <laughs> I was like, such was very thoughtful and very well done. Thank you. I like the survey, too. Good. Good. Yeah, Good. even though my daughter's not uh, in confirmation, okay. gave it to her and she can actually fill it up. Good. Glad. So we have talking points now. You do. Uh, yay. Thank you. Do you want a press picture for the Headway hearing? I mean, you want to stand in front of that and get a snapshot? Okay. Because, well, because again, yeah, we talking as well. too I'm here. Long. If you want me to, yeah, I'm well, no, be by the record. Again, I am looking to, and as I am talking with Kelsey about different things that we can do, which allow for mm -hmm. just mobile organization right. with mobile people. Well, dark, but we'll, I'll let her Photoshop it in. Okay. But I like that we're able to show because there's another young lady, I don't know if you had a chance to meet Sarah Langworthy, but Sarah presented at our all staff in Golden Valley. Okay. Yeah. Sarah and I had met during a presentation at the um, middle schools again about child development. Yeah. And how some of that, because again, the kids' brains are forming and all this stuff. Right. And the hormones are raging and the social emotional stuff that you're talking about. I mean, you're asking a kid to try to journal a lot of stuff. And again, as you said, look over to it, creating these safe spaces. Right. Thank you. Yeah. Sorry, I was late. That's okay. I hope you caught some of, I, a fair amount of it. I did. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for the the time warning. I couldn't yeah. see the clock from where I was at, and I, I had it timed, but I wanted to answer the questions, and the kids kept raising their hand. I didn't want to. I didn't want to leave any of them out. <laughs> so, I appreciate that. My kids involved for sure. Yeah. No, they were. They, they were great to pass my compliments along to the kids that were here, and I really appreciated them participating. They took the survey seriously. They did. Yeah. Their responses were so. Thoughtful. So, yeah, I, yeah, I'm glad it went well, especially since I hadn't done this presentation before. So, oh, thank you. Hey, dude. Hi. Oh, sorry, I haven't seen no, you on my yeah. kids. Oh, nice. How was it? It was good. I thought it was quite nice. The love of your supposed to be so a professor in the end. I thought I was very good, but it wasn't just 10 years ago. Oh, by the way, I'm a 